So uh, I was texting with Greg um, last night. He was supposed to be the one preaching uh, this morning, but he's been in bed since Wednesday morning. He got one of those nice viruses that's going around. So on Friday, he told me uh, I'm going to be preaching, um, but he wants you to know that he's sorry that he's not here uh, with you. Now, um, one morning last week, uh, my daughter Jane, she's five, she was, I was getting her ready for school, um, trying to get both kids ready, and in our house, sometimes that can be a little hectic, and so I'm like, Jane, go brush your teeth. I send her to the bathroom, and she yells from the bathroom, Daddy, what color toothpaste do I use? And I'm like, in my head going, I don't care. Like, this does not matter. Why do you have two tubes of toothpaste on the go? Anyways, but I didn't say that. I just said, you choose. And she's like, no, you have to choose. And I was like, uh, pink. And she's like, no, I think I'll use blue. Anyways, I was like, okay, thank you for this little exchange, Jane. Now, here's the thing. We get faced with decisions every day. And a lot of the time we wonder, does this decision really matter? It's not just decisions about the color toothpaste that we use, but we know that some decisions have more weight than others. Um, It it could be, where are we going to live? Where are we going to raise our family? What career are we going to choose? Who am I going to marry? And we can go, and we we know that these decisions, they, they have some weight behind them. But then again, we wonder about those small, everyday decisions that must be made. Do they make any difference in the grand scheme of things. Like, will the decisions I make right now, will they matter later on down the line? Now, if, if we're honest, we might actually wonder this about some of the things that God calls us to do in his word, or maybe promptings that God calls us to do through his spirit. Do these things really matter? Does it really matter if I pray for that person? Does it really matter how I use my money? Does it really matter if I love my neighbor? Does it really matter if I forgive this person? Does it really matter if I I make worship a priority for my family? Does it really matter if I carry out these spiritual disciplines that God calls me to do? And we, we could keep going with things. Does it really matter? Now today we're starting our Christmas series called Christmas Photos. And in this series, what we're going to do is take a look at the different people who were kind of present or surround the birth of Jesus. Now, um, when we go to my, my wife, Shannon, her best friend's house for dinner or for a visit, kind of come through the door, her best friend's like, Shannon! And then it's like, Seth! Jane! James. Like, it's, it's just like, I'm just kind of like a, a tag along. I'm part of the package, but I'm not really the main attraction. It's like they could take it or leave it if I was there or not. I mean, sometimes this is what we kind of do with Joseph in the Christmas story. I mean, you, you buy your nativity set and he's always there, but we don't always like make a big deal about Joseph. We, we don't often pay him a lot of attention. When we talk about the events that surround Jesus's birth, it's like, Okay, the, the, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and you are going to have a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, like awesome. And then the, the shepherds out in their fields and the angelic choir comes and they're, they're singing, the angels are like, ah, and they go and they find the newborn uh, child. Um, there's the wise men, we saw his star, we've traveled far to come and worship the king of the Jews. And of course, then there's the child in the manger, Jesus Christ himself. And then, in the background, there is Joseph. 
I remember in Christmas plays as a kid, like I didn't mind being cast as Joseph because he didn't have many lines. It was like, put on the fake beard, get your dad's bathrobe, grab the, sh- the, the staff and just kind of look somberly down at the manger. Like it, it was just an easy role to play. And Jesus, he's always got to be the main focus of Christmas, but G- uh, Joseph plays a role in the Christmas story that's worth paying attention to. He's a man who was faced with some, some pretty big decisions. And we don't actually know a lot about Joseph kind of prior to when he appears in the, the Christmas story. We can go, okay, he was a carpenter. He lived in Nazareth of Galilee, engaged to be married, uh, married to Mary, but we don't know his age or how they came to be engaged. But as we look at the scriptures that surround Joseph, what we can see is that he's a, he's a picture of a man who is worth actually following. And so if you have your Bible, um, I want to encourage you, or if you're, you're on your phone, um, it's actually going to be easier if you have a Bible, but Matthew chapter 1, you can put a finger there, and then Luke chapter 2, you can put something there, because we're going to kind of go back and forth, but we're going to be looking at a few scriptures today. And so starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So we decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, imagine you're in Joseph's position. Mary comes home. She's been away for three months visiting a family member, and she has some news to share with you. Joseph... I'm pregnant. And Joseph's not going to be like, that's awesome. Good news. He's going to be like, what? Like, you're pregnant? Because like, he's not expecting this. He's going to be upset. He's probably going to be a little bit angry at least. And so verse 19, it tells us Joseph is a righteous man. He's He's a man who keeps God's law. And so what we can infer from this is like, Joseph and Mary haven't been fooling around prior to their marriage. Like this, this child is not Joseph's. And so Joseph is probably going to go, okay, Mary, I, I, I kind of want to know who's the father. And Mary goes, well, Joseph, an angel appeared to me. And uh, this is the son of God. And it, Joseph's not going to be like, okay, cool. Like you're going to be like, Mary, come on. You got to have something a bit better than that. Like that sounds ridiculous. Joseph's like, I'm not buying it. And we, we can't blame him for that. Now, Joseph's not being a jerk and breaking off the engagement. If Joseph stays with Mary, like, think about this. People are going to be like, what a fool. She's carrying somebody else's baby. Or they're going to be like, Joseph's unrighteous. That's his child, no matter what he says. And so what Joseph's planning to do actually fits with God's law. According to the law, sexual unfaithfulness during the engagement time was considered to be adultery. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 and 14, and then 20 and 21, it says this. Suppose a man marries a woman, but after sleeping with her, he turns against her and publicly accuses her her of shameful conduct, saying, when I married this woman, I discovered she was not a virgin. Verse 20, suppose the man's accusations are true and he can show that she was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home and there the men of the town must stone her to death. Pick up the rocks, throw them at her until she dies. 
For she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Now, Joseph takes God's loss seriously, but we also see that Joseph's not cruel. Joseph's going to do the right thing, but he's also doing the right and loving thing. Like, he, he, could, he could, I mean, has full rights to make a public spectacle of Mary. Drags her to her father's door. Guys, let's get the rocks. Let's put her to death. And he could do this in, in anger and hate. And nobody's going to blame him. But Joseph doesn't do this. Instead, he decides to do this quietly. And he, he's, he's trying to make the best of a difficult situation. He shows loyalty to God's law. He's not going to marry Mary. She, it appears, has been promiscuous. But yet he's prepared to show her mercy He's prepared to show her compassion. Joseph is a good man. All right, let's keep going in verse 20 of Matthew chapter one. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. Now, Joseph, he, again, he's trying to be obedient to what God's law tells him to do in breaking off the engagement, but the problem is Joseph doesn't see the big picture. He, he, he's missing some information that's a little pertinent to what's going on here. This information will change everything. And so Mary hadn't committed adultery, but God had miraculously intervened in her life. And now God is doing the same thing in Joseph's life through this dream. And Joseph, he listens, he trusts, and he immediately obeys God's directions. Now, like, the skeptic in me is going, okay, Joseph, why do you believe the dream? Because like, I have dreams too. Do I act on all those dreams? Do I, how, what do I do with these dreams? Now, Joseph, I, I will say this. The angel in the dream is probably going to be pretty convincing for Joseph. No doubt that there's something miraculous taking place here. But also, what the dream says affirms what Mary would have said to Joseph and so Joseph, he responds in faith. And please understand, it's not like, okay, it's, it, it's the child's from God. Like this, this is not going to be easy for Joseph to do. But he takes the evidence. Again, what the angel says affirms what Mary says. He takes Mary's characters. Like for her to commit adultery seems so uncharacteristic of her. I know this woman. And he goes, I, I think she's telling the truth. And he takes Mary as his wife. It's immediate obedience to God. Now, Joseph took on the responsibility of being a husband, caring for his wife, providing for the household without the immediate conjugal benefits. Like verse, verse 25, it says like he, he doesn't have any sexual relations with her until after the baby is born. I mean, like, good on Joseph, Let's just kind of say that, like for six months, Joseph's willing to set aside his desires so that the child's clearly going to be God. There's God's child. There's no doubt that the child um, is, is not Joseph's child because Joseph hasn't done anything. And so yeah, for, for six months, again, self-control and self-denial. 
It's not Joseph's biological son. Now, I, I get it. Like the immaculate conception to many of us, we go, that sounds kind of ridiculous. Like some of you might be going, I can't believe you Christians actually buy this stuff. But it's like, is it actually that ridiculous? Like, like think about it. It's like science says you look off into space and it's like you can look back and go, at a moment there was nothing and then everything comes into existence. And we go, well, there was a mind before the matter and that's God. And so is it kind of ridiculous that God could kind of leave the man out of the process and create a child within the womb of a mother? Uh, like, you know that you are more than flesh and blood. Like, you know there's, there's a soul, there's a spiritual component to you. Is it ridiculous that God could actually take his spirit and put it inside of a human, that God the Son could inhabit a human body? Now, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, it says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Now, for most couples, it's like the honeymoon is kind of a big deal. Like, where are we going to go? Is it going to be Paris? Is it going to be Hawaii? And Joseph's like, Mary, I'm taking you to Bethlehem. Small town, middle of nowhere. And guess where we're staying, Mary? In an Airbnb with some animals. It's, it's going to be great. And, and this is kind of what happens surrounding the birth of Jesus. But, but here in this, like we see that Joseph isn't a man who just obeys God's word and God's law, but that he obeys the earthly authorities that are over him. Like Joseph is a good citizen. And there's something here for us as well. It's like in Peter, he talks about, it's like as Christians, we should be obedient to our rulers. And so like as Christians, our goal should be, let's be the best citizens that we can be as long as what the government is asking us does not go against God's word. Let's be the best citizens that we can be. And Joseph's a good citizen. Now Micah 5 too, it it talks about where the Messiah is gonna be born. It says, you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And so the step of obedience that Joseph does in in going to Bethlehem, it's essentially the equivalent of paying his taxes. But God takes that step of obedience and he uses it to fulfill a prophecy about where the Messiah is going to be born. Now, I, I can be guilty of this. I see these things as like, and this prophecy was fulfilled when we're reading in scripture. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't really care. Not that important. But those lines are actually quite important for us to pay attention to. Like Jesus is born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet Micah foretold. And these prophecies about the Messiah help us to know with certainty that this Jesus is actually the Messiah. If Jesus's life did not fulfill the prophecies, if, if it missed out on a lot of them, we would actually be able to make a pretty strong case that I don't think this guy is the promised Messiah. But you look at Jesus's life as like each time 
His life fulfills the prophecies. He fulfills them all. And so we can look at it and go with quite, quite like good certainty that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Jesus, again, he, he's born there in Bethlehem. Now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, the last part of it, it says, and Joseph named him Jesus. And there's something interesting here. Notice that it's not Mary who names Jesus Jesus, but it's Joseph who names Jesus Jesus. Like, like, Joseph, I mean, he, he could have been like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm acting as the father. So I'm going to name him. He could have been like, you know what? I've always wanted a junior. I'm going to name him Joseph Jr. Joseph could have been like, I've always wanted to name a child after my old man. So let's name him Jacob. No, Joseph's obedient to what he was told to do in the dream. And it's also kind of amazing that Joseph doesn't go like, Mary, I don't care what you name the child. It's not mine. No, he names the child. And in doing this, it shows that Joseph has adopted Jesus as his own son. And this is important. Because remember when the angel first appears to Joseph and he goes, Joseph, son of David. And we, again, one of those things we just kind of go, not that important, cool title, but whatever. No, this is important because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five to six, it says, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And so because Jesus is adopted by Joseph, this bestows upon Jesus the, the, the royal heritage of David, the lineage of David. And it's, it's, it's legit. And so if Joseph had not adopted Jesus, that promise um, uh, given to David that a ruler would come through his line that would be eternal, that would be the savior, that would not have been fulfilled. Now, Luke chapter two, verses 21 through 24, and then verse 41, it says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was the time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Down to verse 41, it says, every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And so from even before Jesus was born, you see that Mary and Joseph are two people who take God's law seriously. Like they're, they're not the type of couple like, ah, it's, it's, it's Saturday, it's Sabbath. I guess we got to get a religious act together, become good Jewish people today. And then tomorrow we'll kind of go back to, to normal life. Like their, their faith is a part of their everyday life. And Joseph, as the head of the household, made sure that his family followed God's word. And we're the beneficiaries of that. Joseph and Mary, they set an example for Jesus and raised him to worship God. And because of that, we have a savior who could earn our salvation for us. Jesus obeyed the, the law perfectly. 
He fulfilled the law perfectly from birth. He never sinned. He's the perfect high priest. He's the perfect Israelite. He's the perfect sacrifice for sin who would die on the cross. Now, like, think about this. Joseph is Jesus' earthly father figure. And, And like, kind of studies show, man, dad plays a huge role in the life of his children. Science kind of backs that up. And Joseph, again, he's Jesus' daddy. He helps raise Jesus. He provides for him. He plays with him. He teaches him about God. He teaches him the family trade. And so in Joseph, Jesus would see what it looks like to worship God faithfully. Jesus is fully human. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. And so we have to acknowledge Joseph played a role in this. Like, there's this line, I believe it's in Luke, but it's like Jesus goes to the synagogue every week as was his custom. I think Joseph and Mary, they play a role in this. Now, for, for us who are parents or who will be parents, there's something here for us. Like, I've told this story before. I'm going to keep it short. But I had a woman come to me years ago who, who had been in the church, and she goes, why does my son not want to have anything to do with the church? Why does he not care about the Christian faith? And I didn't say it to her then, but I would say it now. I've gotten a little more courageous, I think, with the years. And I just go, like, mostly because kind of you. You don't demonstrate that, that your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with God is a priority. You come to church when it's convenient, when you feel like it. Why would he believe any different? He's going to follow that example. So parents, like our kids are watching what we do and your kids are not dumb. Like my, kid, my kids will call me out on inconsistent behavior. I'm like, you stop that. You be quiet. I'm the parent. Do what I say. But our kids are not dumb. They're watching. And if we're serious about our kids following Jesus as Lord and Savior, we better get serious about following Jesus as Lord and Savior. To live in such a way that our children see that our faith is more than just a Sunday morning thing, but is a part of our daily lives. All right, let's keep going. Matthew chapter two, verse 13. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Now, when King Herod hears from the wise men who come, like we we followed a star, we've seen that there's the newborn king of the Jews. And he's like, ah, tell me where he is because I'd like to worship him too. That's not his motive. He's like, tell me where he is because I'm going to put this kid to death. Because like this kid, the newborn king of the Jews, he's trying to take my place. I'm the king of the Jews. This child is a threat to his throne. And so in in correlation with the date that the star appears, Herod's like, let's get rid of all the little boys who are two years old and younger. Let's put them to death. Let's stamp out the threat. Now this state-sponsored act of terror, I've never seen it depicted in any Christmas plays. Like that that, that part kind of just gets left out. Has anybody ever received a Christmas card with this depicted on the front of it? Like, 
No. And this is like, ugh, this is kind of a brutal part of the Christmas, Christmas narrative. But it's a reality. It's, it's a real part of what happened when Christ came into the world. And some people have said that the number of children who were killed during that time was into the thousands, but in reality, Bethlehem was a really small town, probably 10 to 30 boys of that age. So the number's not into the thousands, but it's still an incredibly brutal act. Like if you've ever held a baby in your arms, even a two-year-old, like I, I, I can't get my head around how you could do this. And things like this, it shows us that the world is capable of great evil. And, and sometimes we like to go, okay, that stuff, that, that happened in the past. That doesn't happen, happen now. But like as of Friday, when I was writing this, I, I, I looked it up. There have been 611 mass shootings in the year 2022 in the United States alone. Like that's, that's on par almost for like two a day. But it's not just like, ah, oh, our neighbors to the south, they're masked up. Like, we, we watch the news, our news, and we're reminded, man, this world is broken. There's pain and there's hurt and there's evil going on. And we, 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 we look at these things and we go, how could Herod put children to death? Or this news story, you go, how could somebody ever do that? And, and typically our answer is like, well, Herod was a bad man. Or man, there, there's just some people who, who are evil. And that that is true, but we also have to acknowledge that behind the evils like Herod and the other brutalities that we see in this world, there's someone at work. Satan was working through King Herod to try and kill the Messiah, not just because Jesus is the newborn king of the Jews, but because this child is going to be the Messiah who's going to defeat Satan once and for all. And Satan does not want that. But we know how this goes, that Jesus grows up. He defeats Satan at the cross. Satan is defeated, but he's not done yet. Satan continues to work in our world to deceive us about Jesus' victory, to cause us to despair, to cause us to, to, to fear that what, what the gospel says isn't true. He uses destruction and death to take our eyes off of Christ's victory, to make us believe that God is not in control. But as we see in this story, God is able to protect his own. And he warns the family about it. They escape to Egypt outside of Herod's jurisdiction. Now, verse 14, is, there's something significant. Like, notice it says, that night, Joseph and his family leave for Egypt. Like, Joseph dreams the dream, and that night, they're like, we're out the door. He doesn't go, hmm, let me write a list of pros and cons about moving to Egypt. He, he doesn't go, let me think this over, and then I'll give a decision. It's like, that night, he leads for Egypt it's immediate and complete obedience. And it says a lot about Joseph. He leaves his community. He leaves his career. He leaves the comfort of where he is to save this child who's not biologically his. And if Joseph had not taken Jesus and Mary to Egypt, there's a good chance that Jesus could have been put to death in what has become known as the massacre of the innocents. And if Jesus was put to death, what does that mean for us? Satan's Defeat on the cross probably would not happen. We would not have much hope beyond this life. But Joseph obeyed. And he's a picture of what it looks like to be obedient to God. His obedience mattered. It affects us today. It affects our eternity. 
Once again, a prophecy made by Hosea is fulfilled because Jesus, or Joseph obeys, sorry. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it says, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. And so the family stay in Egypt, probably not that long, a year or two, then Herod dies and they're like, it's time to go back to, um, to, to Galilee. And Joseph, it's like, here's the thing. He could have been like, I- I'm just gonna go back to what I know, where I had connections, where I had a career, but he doesn't do that. He does what's best for his family where, and, and he's listening to what God is telling him to do. And again, another prophecy is fulfilled. So Joseph is a guy, he doesn't get a lot that's actually said about him. But as I was kind of studying this, it's like, Joseph's actually one of the most godly men in all of scripture. Like every time, whether directed by God in his word or through a dream, Joseph's like, I'm going to obey. In every instance, when Joseph discerns God's will, he responds in obedience. That obedience is this way of life for Joseph and his obedience to God, it helps make him a good husband. It helps makes him a good father. And God, he, he, like, he doesn't get lucky. He's like, I, I choose Mary. She's going to bear my son. And then Joseph happens to be engaged to her. He's like, oh, good thing he's a good man. That worked out because like, it could have gone the other way. Like Joseph was, was chosen by God to play this role. He was chosen because he was a man who was obedient. He trusted God. He did what God wanted. He chose him to be the foster father. In Matthew 1.19, again, he's a righteous man. Now, it's easy for us to overlook those acts of obedience, but as Joseph shows us, even those small decisions can matter for eternity. And God is looking for people who will obey him and he will make a difference through their lives. And I don't think Joseph knows the big picture. He only knows, here's what God's telling me to do, and here's what I must do to obey what God is telling me to do. But his adopted son would grow up and do miracles, preach the gospel, die for the sins of his people, be buried, and also rise again. He would save the world He would do what no other man could do. He would bring us life. And Joseph's obedience played a part in that. That God knew he could trust him. And as I'm like working through this, I'm going, does my obedience look like Joseph's obedience? Does your obedience to God's word and to the promptings of his spirit in your life look like Joseph's obedience and the difference that our obedience will make is probably not going to be immediately obvious to us again. But God will use that. God chose well to make Joseph the father of his son. And Joseph lived obediently through faith. And again, faith is not easy. Like Philip Yancey, he says, how many times did Joseph second guess his own encounter with an angel? Just a dream? 
And I could understand if Joseph's like, is this real or am I just losing it? Like, am I, am I, like, am I dreaming things and it's like, it's not real? Are they actually from God? Should I actually do what my dreams are telling me to do? Because obedience to those dreams means sacrifice. It means hardship and danger, but Joseph still obeyed them. And he trusts that God sees the big picture. And again, there's no way that Joseph knows like it's just like that these things are gonna work out the way that they do, but God does. And Joseph's obedience, it pays off. Jesus's life is saved. Our salvation is gained on the cross because Jesus made it to the cross. And what I find beautiful in Joseph's story is that as Joseph might have been like, I don't know if this is, is legit. Is it real? God provides moments of reassurance for him that, that this is right, that you're, you're doing the right thing. The night Jesus is, betray, or Jesus, Jesus is born, who shows up? Some shepherds. We, we saw a choir of angels just appeared to us. Like, that's, Joseph's like, this whole thing's weird. This is a little weird, but okay. And then what happens? Some wise men show up a few years later bearing gifts. It's like, this is the newborn king of the Jews. They worship a two-year-old. They take Jesus to the temple, eight days old. Two old people (laughs) come up and they prophesy over Jesus. He's going to be the one to save Israel. That that Joseph surely would have heard of what, about what took place in Bethlehem after he and Mary had left. The 12-year-old Jesus teaches religious teachers in the temple. And Jesus's, or Joseph's obedience was ordinary, but God used him to preserve Jesus' life, fulfill his promises, and ultimately bring salvation to his people. Joseph's obedience made an eternal difference. And in the same way, You don't know what's going to happen, but God in his sovereignty, he sees the big picture and what he asks of us, it does matter. So your simple everyday obedience can matter for eternity. Like our our choices that we make, they set the course of our lives and they can set the course of our children's lives. And God is big enough to redeem our mistakes. If we miss it, God can work with it. He can still bring about his plans and purposes but he's still looking for people who will be obedient to what he asks. And as we do this, be encouraged because your small everyday obedience in the sovereign hand of God, that can make a difference. It will help you be a better spouse. It will help you be a better parent. It's going to save you some heartache that that might be unnecessary because God knows what is best. It's gonna help you bring others to Christ And so following God's leading each step of the way in the small things and the big things, that's the way that we change the world. And so as God's people, may obedience to God's direction be our way of life, just as it was for Joseph.